All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, we give you tips on you know, how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Paul, joined as always by my notorious compadre and uh, my best pal, Mr. Pizza Mind. How's it going, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. I know this um, bear market has people really upset and scared right now, but to me, I'm like a kid in a candy store that just got his <laughs> allowance. Uh, the only question is what to pick up. What's going to not rot by the next bull market? So, I mean, I wish there was something that could give us a little piece of mm. everything. Mm. Mm. You know, the, the market really is fragmenting here. Um, as you know, so many cryptocurrencies have been born. I think last year I took a screenshot of like coinmarketcap.com right around this time, around June. There was about, you know, eight to 9,000 cryptocurrencies. And now, Actually, I should have checked uh, real quick. Uh, now there are 19,940, just to be specific. Uh, to g- Why was I not emailed to get in on the VC round? <laughs> this is bullshit. All I have to say is, you know, the, the market continues to grow. And I think it's a good indication of, uh, of, of kind of where the market's going. And it's going multi-chain, right? If you look 10 years ago, guess what? There was one cryptocurrency. Now there's 20,000. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that many blockchains and many networks are existing simultaneously. Many cryptocurrencies are being born every day. Um, and there needs to kind of be a way for all of those different platforms to communicate, for all the different users on the different platforms to be able to transfer value and messages back and forth to one another and to make it a true internet of value, right? All these different blockchains need to be connected. Anyhow, so we're going to bring on a guest without further ado, who 
to my current understanding is, is building something that might uh, fulfill that vision, uh, but who's also just a heck of a guy who's got a lot of amazing interests and uh, has a tremendous background. So James Presswich is the CTO and the founder of Nomad. James, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hey, Bryce, how's it going? Man, it's going. It's just going. Again, <laughs> the bear market blues, baby. If I could write a song, I would call it the bear market blues because whether it's up or down, um, you know, the, we're still here, we're still building, but it's tough, right? You know, the prices do, uh, you know, affect the builders. And, and that's what you are. You're a builder. Do you feel blue kind of during this period? Or do you kind of say, hey, I'm excited that, you know, prices are down. Now me and my team can focus on building the actual future. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely lean more towards the second. Um, this is going to be my third major bear market in crypto. So it, it kind of feels homey to me at this point. It, we're getting <laughs> back to the point where uh, all of the, the money people get shaken out of the space and, you know, it kind of pulls back and you see who is here to build and who's here to enjoy it and have fun and work on something meaningful because everyone who was here to make a quick buck uh, bailed last week. Yeah. And, and what do you really think like the market needs? And I'm not saying the market in terms of prices, but like, Specifically, like, what does the industry need right now like that you're building? Yeah, well, uh, you know, you gave me such a good introduction on you know, value moving across chains and users moving across chains. I feel like I should uh, be interviewing you on Nomad. <laughs> what we're working on is essentially uh, cross-chain communication tech, um, a way to move value, to move information, to move users between any two different uh, smart contract chains. Um, the idea here being that, you know, you have assets on Polygon and uh, an Aave position on Ethereum mainnet. It should be easy, quick, and secure for you to, uh, you know, re-collateralize your Aave position with your assets from Polygon. You shouldn't have to go through a bunch of different websites, a bunch of different, you know, like transaction signing flows just to do this, you know, relatively simple user action. And is this part of the reason why you think so many, you know, DeFi funds are getting liquidated right now because the market is falling so quickly and they can't move cross chain and, and leverage assets from one kind of ecosystem against another? Um, and, and these networks are failing. Solana's going offline half the time. I mean, is that kind of what's happening? Just the fragmentation of liquidity in DeFi causing some of this massive you know, slippage, if you will? I think that's definitely part of the problem. Uh, we don't tend to think of it this way, but ETH2 right now is an entirely separate blockchain and it has a one-way bridge. You can put Ethereum into ETH2, but you can never get it out again. And so a lot of the ongoing market turmoil has revolved around Steph, uh, which was built to solve this problem. Was built staked to give, Ethereum. Uh, Lido's staked Ethereum specifically. Hmm. It was built to solve this problem where you can put your money in, but you can't get it out by giving you a tradable wrapper for the, the Ether that you've put into ETH2. And so the market turmoil has really focused on these big funds with huge death positions suddenly going, oh, shit, I need to get my funds out of ETH2 right now. And it's created this huge discount on Steph, 
which is a you know negative feedback loop, which has caused funds to get liquidated, which puts a glut of ether onto the market, which causes more people to get liquidated when the price falls. So like, yeah, a lot of the ongoing market turmoil is, you know, driven by this inability to communicate between ETH and ETH2 uh, effectively. ETH2 developers decided not to prioritize this as a feature, um, you know, two years ago. And I think we're finally, yeah, that, that worked great while the numbers were going up. And now that the numbers are falling, we're getting some of the, uh, you know, the downsides of that decision being realized. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm getting some emails from Nexo saying, hey, uh, buddy, you might want to add some more money over here or we're going to take everything else you have. But Compound is not giving me any kind of notifications like that. I've got to check every day and make sure I'm okay over mm-hmm. there or just heavily over collateralize my position there just to make sure because there's no kind of messaging system in DeFi. And it sure would be nice if it had the ability to interface with an email server or Telegram or Discord or anything like that. So how is Nomad connecting to all these different chains to create messaging? So we work a lot on app-to-app messaging right now. Is We're focusing on you know, how does your compound position being under collateralized uh, get funds from another chain? Or how do you set up a complex uh, DeFi flow where you decollateralize on one chain, move it over, recollateralize on the other chain? So a lot of focusing on, you know, what is the user's intent? Like, what is the set of actions that they want to take? And how do we construct messages between chains so that they can take those actions effectively and quickly? We're also focusing on, you know, how does governance on one chain message its applications on other chains? So when you have Uniswap or Aave with governance on Ethereum mainnet, but deployments on Polygon and Moonbeam and all of these other chains. How do you help that governance system uh, direct and talk to all of its applications on other chains? Yeah, that's a very, uh, you know, I mean, typically we start the podcasts high level and then zoom in. And I feel like we just went straight to the heart of uh, some very complex but totally crucial issues that, that, you know, you guys are solving, you know, it just makes me think like, wow, you know, in the bull market, you know, we, we really did get ahead of our skis uh, because there is still so much left to build. Um, how, you know, how, like when you think of time frame for, you know, maturity of this industry, like w- what's your projections? Well, I've been, you know, I've been so you're seeing this- so, you know, you've been here for so long. I've been uh, You're a grandpa in this space. Oh God, don't remind me. Uh, I've been working. You know, I started my first crypto company eight years ago, and I think back then we were all expecting, oh yeah, the space will just uh, be nice and mature in four or five years, and we'll all be able to you know, work on fun things and like productize this. And eight years down the road, I I think you know we're we're still looking four or five years out for maturity. But our goalposts have moved so far since then. Uh, Back in 2014, what we were expecting for maturity was institutional adoption and good custodial wallets and uh, things like that. This is before ETH even existed, right? So we didn't have like an idea of maturity as secure 
uh, financial services on chain. We were very focused on, you know, what is Bitcoin going to do? When are big companies going to use it? And what are, you know, normal people going to do with their Bitcoins uh, in centralized collateralized services? You know, these days, when we talk about maturity, we really mean you know, like an interconnected network of blockchains. Uh, we mean fast, efficient bridging. We mean uh, governance managing applications on 20 different chains. We mean very deep lending pools, as many places as possible. So I, I still think we're a few years away from maturity, but I also think that we've come so far in the last eight years and because we have improved so much since then, our ambitions have grown too. That's a great answer. I mean, back then there was no even concept of GameFi or Web3 or any of this stuff. And as I'm listening to you talk, I'm just thinking of the future of yield farming when you have an automated governance tool that can work cross-chain. Uh, it's going to be like trading in 3D for a lot of these guys that are experts at that mm -hmm. now. So it's really, really interesting what's going to become of there. But I want to ask you about Web3 specifically, because that seems to be the big narrative that's getting, I would say, the most development right now. And that's just recreating all the services that exist that we know on the Internet today that are built by centralized parties that are taking you know, money from their users. And you know, there's just these huge companies are sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars in cash right now and creating a liquidity crisis in the world. But the Web3 companies are going to be distributing all the money that these networks make back to the hands of all the participants, putting money back in the hands of communities all over the world, which should really create an incredible world economy. So it's not just you know one service versus another. It's the whole cash flow of the internet reversing direction. That's really now the goalposts. Uh, and that's unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, this is a evolution of you know, like the interest that got me into the space in the first place is I got involved in Bitcoin back in the day because it is permissionless. Uh, like the internet, anyone can, you know, with a, anyone with a laptop can fully participate in the blockchain. Like they can run a fully validating node. They can be a full participant in the economic system. And this is something that we've never had before. You've never had access like that before. So when we talk about Web3, for me, it's about bringing all of these services that people around the world have never had access before, like lending and borrowing and sovereign ownership of assets and giving them to you know, everyone in the world instead of the select few who happen to live in the US and have a broker and enough disposable cash. It's opening up access to the cash flows of the internet or complex finance to you know, billions of people who have never had access to that before. It's fascinating. And it took the, it took the internet 30 years to get to the level where you could have broadband in just about every home in the U S mm -hmm. you know, 50 years later, we're still not at that level through half the world, if not more. So yeah. We're still really, really, really early into DeFi and Web3 and all that stuff. Deep. And it may take a while. So while some people are still looking at Bitcoin at 20K right now going, oh, man, I wish I had bought it at 200. You're still early. 
the internet itself is still maturing. And I think it's very safe to say that crypto has a multi-decade long maturation cycle. Do you think kind of like outside of crypto, do you, do you think about like kind of the broader market forces? Do you, do you spend time kind of thinking about macro and all that kind of stuff? I'm just curious. I don't spend a whole lot of time on it. You, you may have noticed I'm like a, a tech guy. I like to get in the weeds on the technical system, talk about like what apps are messaging each other, how messages move between chains, like uh, what users are doing. Mm. You know, I think a, a lot of my interest in this though was not on like macroeconomics, but on coming of age around the 2008 market crash, seeing the benefits that transparency and full access can bring to financial instruments, to people's comfort with the financial system. Mm. And so it's less about the macroeconomic trends and more about the cultural movement that was born out of them. So you previously founded uh, or, or worked with storage, is that correct? Yeah, I was a co-founder at Storage and was there between 2014 and 2017. Nice. So this is a, this was a good example. They were a really, you know, early, early coin um, that was kind of trying to maybe re-architect like the iCloud, like let's decentralize iCloud, if you will. Would, would you say that's accurate? I think that uh, that was one of the directions we were moving back then. We also spent a lot of time working on more of the developer-facing services like Amazon Web Services does. Mm. So not just like redo iCloud, the user-facing application, but redo the infrastructure that it runs on. Storage currently, I think, is operating an Amazon-compatible storage system. Interesting. What, what, what are the benefits of that? You know, and if, kind of like, you know, a, a decentralized Amazon web servers. If done you know, correctly and well, which is a very, you know, as we found out, a very challenging thing to do, you can build some of these user facing services with, uh, you know, lower costs, higher reliability. You know, one of the one of the old jokes is like, you know, the banks close between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m., but Bitcoin never closes. Mm. When you, you know, build out a truly robust decentralized system, it can have better uptime and better service for the customer than a centralized system can. But again, you know, I haven't been at storage in about five years, uh, so I'm sure I'm you know, butchering their uh, marketing right now. <laughs> That's OK. What are some of the blockchains you work with? You think maybe has some better tech than most you're, that you're looking at this, you're like, oh, this is great to use from a developer standpoint. And what are some that you think are junk or too clunky to really withstand the test of time? As non-techie people, we could really use some you know, insight into that world from your end, whatever you're willing to yeah, share. I have worked on a lot of different blockchains. Uh, I've been doing things you know, cross-chain on as many different chains as I could get my hands on since 2018-ish. So in that time... I've worked professionally on Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Near, Nervos, oh, Cosmos. I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting at this point, but like we, we've done like significant paid work on each of those systems. And we've worked in depth with all of the, you know, like SDKs and with all of the developer tooling. In terms of like the best developer experience I found, I think it's Near, 
but this is because I'm a, I'm a hardcore Rust partisan. I, uh, I love writing Rust and I hate writing any other language. Near has a really great block explorer, a really great uh, SDK for writing smart contracts. Um, it's great to just, you know, like knock something out real quick in your favorite language and ship it off the chain. That said, you know, like I haven't had a bad developer experience on any uh, any blockchain that's older than, you know, 18 months. After you've been out for a year, you tend to have the kinks out of your SDKs. You have everything refined to a point where an outside developer can come in and pick it up pretty easily. As long as they know your, you know, your VM's language, which is Rust for Near and Solana, uh, C for Nervos, Solidity for EVM. Really, like once a framework like Anchor for Solana comes out, there's enough tooling, there's enough tutorials, there's enough experts out there that you can get up and running pretty quickly. How I mean, I, I, how many blockchain developers exist right now? Would you say like is there a way to kind of track that? I don't know if there's a good way to get the metrics. I also don't know if if uh, that's the best metric for measuring adoption. Hmm. Usually when we're talking with like other people in the community, we don't talk about just the number of developers. We want to talk usually about how many experts there are. When you go on Twitter or into Telegram, uh, you're not going to ask the average Solidity developer your questions. You're not going to you know, really you know, like interface with the average Solidity developer. What you need is a community of experts, people like Transmissions, people like Nick Johnson, uh, people like Zero Age over at OpenSea. These incredibly uh, bright, smart, communicative experts with deep, deep understanding of the ecosystem they work in. Uh, so... In the Solidity EVM ecosystem, there's you know probably around a hundred of these people, and that is far better than any other ecosystem out there. You don't find that kind of you know deep pool of experts in near or Solana yet. It'll probably take a couple more years to get there, and this is one of the main advantages of working in the Ethereum ecosystem right now is there is so much knowledge out there, so many guides that have been written, uh, so many people that you can ask the, you know, like fiddly delicate questions about smart contract development and using Ethereum. So while there might be tens of thousands of blockchain developers out there, there's only a few hundred real experts so far, but that's come a long way. Like there were only a few dozen uh, three or four years ago. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's and it it really it really does um, tell me like you know the market has come a long way, but it's still got a long ways to go. We're 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 in early industry, and I mean to 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 say there's only about a hundred or so true true Ethereum experts. I mean that's that's crazy, right? I mean this is you know a well I'm not sure that's just you know I expected maybe a thousand right a thousand reliable people, but that's an order of magnitude off. <laughs> yeah, it's um. That's amazing. So what about these blockchain audit firms? Are they experts that can be relied on or is it kind of a smoke and mirrors marketing thing? Um, or do we really just need a lot more activity from them for all the different code changes and cross chain stuff that's being built? The audit firms can be pretty hit and miss. Uh, I don't want to name names for obvious reasons, but 
you know, there are some really good audit firms out there who employ some of the top you know, experts in the space. And some of the people that like we most admire, like Samsung, have come out of audit firms or you know, have been at audit firms for a long time. Or so for any given audit firm, you have to do a little bit of diligence on whether their uh, whether their you know, stamp of approval is for any given audit firm, there's a lot of variation in quality. Uh, some of these are going to be great, like in-depth expert reviews, and some of them are going to be pretty, pretty cursory. Yeah. What do you kind of think are like from a high level, if you could narrow it down, is there one like major kink or security flaw of going cross chain that like the most common exploit, for instance, you know, the first one that comes to mind is the wormhole uh, kind Mm -hmm. of hack that happened $400 million jump had to bail them out. Um, Is that like, uh, can you kind of talk about some of the security stuff around cross chain? Yeah, I think we we have a lot of examples at this point, which is you know nice for talking about it, but not nice for the people who are now examples. So we see two basic kinds of issues with bridges. Um, the first is really like interesting, um, which is the root of trust issue, which is that whatever is at the core of the bridge was compromised, and the only good example of this is the Ronin hack somebody broke into their servers, stole the private keys that run the bridge. You know, they stole the trusted multi-sig. So that is the core functionality of the bridge. The trusted multi-sig that sends messages across chains was compromised and stolen. Uh, The other kind is much more common, which is that the core, the trusted multi-sig or the root of trust was fine, but the glue code around it, all of the scaffolding, uh, was compromised. This is the poly poly network, not poly market. I always confuse those. <laughs> this is the poly network hack, the wormhole hack, the Thor chain hack. This is when the bridge, the core, like the validators or the proof of stake is operating correctly. Uh, but some of the smart contract code that implements the token minting and burning or the signature validation or something like that is broken. And these are much more common than root of trust issues. Usually you don't steal the multi-sig keys. You just find some way that you don't need the multi-sig keys to break into things because the smart contracts are broken. It is far more common to have just a bad application than it is to have a bad core system. So at Nomad, we try to focus a lot on separating the core system from the application. So if the core system is compromised, the application shouldn't break. And making a very clear behavior pattern for the application so that mistakes of this kind are harder for developers to make. A really good analogy is in Solidity, we have something called re-entrancy which developers right now are very, very aware of and everybody thinks about and all of the auditors check for. But this wasn't always the case. It was a very common mistake to make in 2015, 2016, 2017, and it led to- Re-entrancy? Uh, re-entrancy. You, you don't need to worry about what it is. Uh, <laughs> the, main, the main point I'm getting to is that it led to a little attack that we call the DAO. 
uh, where, you know, a, I want to say a single digit percentage of all ETH was stolen from a single smart contract. So back in 2016, it's kind of, you should consider it the foundational hack uh, in Ethereum that everything else descends from. So the moral of the story is that because re-entrancy has been exploited so many times over the last five years, almost every developer knows what to do about it. They know how to prevent it. They know how to defend against it. Uh, and everybody does that. In cross-chain systems, we haven't built up that kind of expertise about attacks yet. Uh, people don't know what the common attacks are, and so they don't defend against them. Uh, it's going to take another year or two before developers are familiar enough with you know, cross-chain security models to build defenses as a standard. And we're still uh, kind of pioneering a lot of that work at Nomad. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that's I mean, these are the hard questions, you know, and the hard systems to be built. But it's encouraging that, you know, there are uh, folks like you that are out there, you know, working actively day in and day out uh, to solve these problems. Now, do, does Nomad have a, a, a token that's associated with the network? Uh, we do not have a token uh, right now. We are you know, live on, I want to say, six or seven different networks. Um, we are focusing on building a useful product rather than building out a token. Okay. Sounds good. Now, as a guy who's gone through a couple bear markets, what are some, some bear market words of wisdom that you might have for the listeners of Crypto 101? You know, keep calm is the first thing. I guess you could say don't panic. <laughs> This feels really bad right now, but give it a few months of distance and you know it's going to feel and look completely different. Everybody looks back at you know 2018 as a time when they everybody who panicked and sold out in 2018 regrets it now. Yeah. Don't be the person who regrets it in two years. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good word of wisdom. You know, it's 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 always hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're kind of at the deepest part. Uh, but rest assured, uh, you know, markets don't go up forever. We certainly learned that markets don't go down forever. Uh, I think also market participants have very you know short term memories as well because, like you said, think about how we're going to feel. You know, three months down the line, uh, you know, markets have hopefully recovered, and you know, this is in the past. But you know, it's it's always tough. But yeah, I think I think that's a good word. Uh, kind of, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, "Just keep calm and carry on." Uh, <laughs> I've seen that on some T-shirts. Yeah. Well, awesome. So now let me ask you. Um, you know, you're a guy who sees lots of different companies, lots of different builders. What are a few other companies like Nomad, uh, or maybe not like Nomad, maybe just completely different ideas, but? Similar to Nomad in the sense that you got great work ethic, you got great developers, um, and you got a big vision. What are some other companies out there that maybe are worth taking a look at just to learn about? There is you know, always a lot going on in this space. So in terms of, I usually think about it less in terms of other companies who are uh, worth keeping an eye on and more in terms of other people. I like uh, there are there are a lot of you know like human beings who have been around this space for you know maybe a year maybe five years who are worth paying attention to. 
Uh, and whatever company they're at and whatever project they're working on, it's going to be worth paying attention to. So right now, one of my buddies, Georgios, uh, over at Paradigm, works a lot on public open source Solidity tooling. So if you want to write smart contracts, Foundry is the fastest, most effective way to do that. Uh, you know, that's been on a huge, you know, like upswing over the last six months. Uh, I went from just his side project to everybody is using and talking about it very quickly. And that's called Foundry? Foundry. Okay. Uh, it's a framework for, you know, developing Solidity contracts. Well, uh, this might be a common answer, but the merge is coming up at some point in the next few months. Yeah, so, I was going to ask you your thoughts on on the merge, right? The uh, the ETH 2.0, you know, beacon chain kind of goes goes live to the real chain, and uh, yeah, what do you think about the probabilities of success? And uh, for that one, I think people are going to be surprised at how uh, much of a non-event it is. Uh, I I hope so. Like, uh, I know Tim, the coordinator. I know Danny Ryan. Like, I know a lot of the ETH2 dev team from way back. They're all very thoughtful, very competent people. Uh, and they've been going through a lot of effort over the last six months to make sure this goes smoothly. And I have a lot of faith in them. So, you know, I, I think the for the average user, this is probably just going to not really be noticed. Yeah, no, it's almost like uh, it should go as planned, unnoticed. And if you hear something about it, it might be because, ah, there's another delay. So we found a bug, X, uh -huh, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. So yep. hopefully we don't hear about it. It just runs in the background and uh, everything goes well. Well, uh, at this point, you know, it's, it's no longer a technical issue. At this point, there's no like outstanding known significant bugs you're ironing out the last hiccups on the test nets you're running merges for public test nets which is extremely like cool and significant mm. you know at this point it's just coordination around all of the you know five or six different client dev teams to get a you know, date set and all of the testing and quality assurance in place before then there, there's no like big open questions. It's all mm. procedural. Uh, and that is something incredible. Yeah. That, that, that's actually, that, that's new data for me right now. Uh, that's, that's good. That's great stuff to hear. Yeah. That is, that represents an incredible amount of work by, you know, dozens of people over the last year. So it's, uh, something great to see. Yeah. It's going to be a big culmination of events and it's definitely worth celebrating. Pete's, maybe we go out and uh, have a little bite to eat with a, a Bitcoin pizza. <laughs> We're getting ripped. <laughs> Expensive pizza. Yep. All right, James, love it so much. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Uh, where can we point uh, listeners to to, to kind of keep keep track of the uh, of the story that you're building at Nomad? You, Twitter, website. What do you like? Yeah, the Twitter is a great place to keep track of things. Uh, we also have a website and a Telegram group. Twitter is nomadxyz underscore. We're trying to get that nomadxyz handle, but it might take a minute. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, wonderful. Everybody who's at home listening, uh, stick around. You guys know we got some more great guests coming up later in the week. 